Right, well, good morning, everybody. It's after half past nine, so we'll begin. We're going to do something slightly different uh, today with Jonty being away. Uh, there will be a new series next week on membership, um, but this week we're going back in time in church history. I'm going to look at somebody who you may not have heard of called William Grimshaw. Um, so before we begin, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you very much for the great privilege of meeting together freely in your name this morning. And we do pray now that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts as we look at this great hero of faith. Teach us, we pray, from his life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, just a matter of point. Who has heard of William Grimshaw? Excellent. Well done. You mentioned him last week. I know I did. <laughs> right, for starters, what I'd like you to do is to look at, uh, I think you've all got sight of these five rather severe-looking gentlemen, uh, all dressed in clerical garb of the 18th century. And I'd like you to tell me, first of all, who each one is, and then I'd like you also to tell me um, just a line or, or anything about the 18th century revival and then something, anything, about the Great Awakening. For example, how were they different? Um, so who are these guys and anything about the Great Awakening and anything about the 18th century revival? So if we have a, a couple of minutes on that. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's stop there. Um, any brave person? Who is A, the guy with two hands in the air? Any thoughts? Whitfield? It is Whitfield. Now, who can tell me anything about George Whitfield? This, this, this talk isn't about George Whitfield, but he's a very significant guy. Any, anything about Whitfield? He did, he did, thank you. Now, that, I talked about the 18th century revival and the Great Awakening. What's the difference between the two? They're both times when the church was revived in the 18th century, but what's the difference between the 18th century revival and the Great Awakening? Any, any thoughts? I know Matt will give us the answer. <laughs> um, I, I was just saying the difference between the Great Awakening and the 18th century revival, just so people have a bit of a, um, a grasp. Great Awakening, Great, thank, thank you very much. That, that's absolutely right. Whitfield was both sides of the Atlantic. What about, what about B? Who is B? And I'm not going to ask Matt again because I know he knows the answer. Who is B? These are all key people in the history of the church. Any thoughts on who? Anybody want to guess? You, you, Edwards. Edward, Edwards. Jonathan Edwards. Key figure uh, of, in the Great Awakening in America and worked very closely with Whitfield. What about C? Who is C? 
You've got a 50% chance. Wesley. Yep, Wesley. Anybody, what, what do we need to know about Wesley? Anything about Wesley? Right, what was the difference between Wesley and Whitfield? Because <laughs> they both were in England at the same time and they both worked together to some extent, but they fell out. Yeah. Whitfield wasn't. Whitfield, yes, was, was a Calvinist. We won't go into the difference this morning, um, but it is relevant to what we're going to talk about, about the final person. So who is D? <laughs> this is really hard. <laughs> Anybody know who D is? Mr Grimshaw. William Grimshaw. That's right. And, and the reason I've given you that background is that Grimshaw had dealings very positive dealings with Wesley and Whitfield. He didn't know Jonathan Edwards because basically Grimshaw stayed in the north of England. But Grimshaw, actually he's one of my um, spiritual heroes of the past. And so what we're going to do this morning is just to look briefly at the life of William Grimshaw and then we're going to look briefly, if we've got time, at what we can learn from him. Um, It's important we don't put him on a pedestal And there are a number of things that are really positive about Grimshaw. There's one particular thing, and there may be others too, that is not so positive. And if we've we've got time, we'll cover that too. So let me tell you about William Grimshaw. Um, William Grimshaw was one of these people who, good family, educated, went to Cambridge. Um, And what do you do after you've been educated in the 18th century if you're not the... Uh, oldest son, you go into the Church of England. So in other words, it was a career, it wasn't a spiritual calling uh, at that time. And John Newton, who you will have heard of, later commented this way, Grimshaw did duty, as the phrase is, in the church once on the Lord's Day. That is, he read prayers and a sermon. With this, his conscience was satisfied. Whether his flock were satisfied or not, he neither knew nor cared, nor did he attend more to useful studies. He was a gentle casuist, a compliant companion, a man of the world. So at that stage, you could say he was a pretty useless vicar. Um, Now, at that time, he was minister of Todmorden, which is sort of on the borders of, of Yorkshire and Lancashire. And 1735, he married his first wife, Um, Sarah Sutcliffe they had two children but she sadly died uh, four years later and Grimshaw's relationship uh, with his two wives is something we're going to look at because I'd say that's one of the areas where he doesn't particularly shine well but he was deeply in love with his first wife and in fact they are buried side by side uh, in London churchyard Um, After the death of his first wife, he went into a great period of depression um, and spiritual despair. Uh, And what happened? Well, in 1741, he read a book by John Owen. Um, If you were, we're going back a bit now, here for the series on the Puritans, John Owen, probably known as the Prince of Puritans, the the best-known Puritan, who wrote an awful lot, um, and... One of his books, Grimshaw read, and here is a title to give its full title. Titles of books then gave you a pretty good idea of what was in them. 
So the title of this book was this, The Doctrine of Justification by Faith Through Imputation of the Righteousness of Christ, Confirmed, Explained and Vindicated. So that was what the book was. And God used this book to transform Grimshaw's life. And Grimshaw later wrote to Henry Venn. Henry Venn's another of these guys, perhaps less well known, was in Huddersfield at the time, but a great minister of the gospel. And he said this, I was now willing to renounce myself every degree of fancied merit and ability and to embrace Christ only for my all in all. Oh, what light and comfort did I now enjoy in my own soul and what a taste of the pardoning love of God. So in that same year, um, 1741, he married again and his second wife, Elizabeth, only lived four years as well. Um, after that shortly that he went to Haworth now Grimshaw as far as I'm concerned is the most famous person who comes from Haworth forget the Brontes um, but he became perpetual priest in charge of Haworth and it's at Haworth that what we remember Grimshaw for actually happened Um, it's worth just spending a few moments saying what Haworth was like in 1741 it wasn't a rural village. It was basically a village that was also an industrial hub. But it was extremely unhealthy. Uh, 41% of children died before the age of six. Now that was in a survey that was done 100 years later in the 1840s. So it must have been at least as bad in Grimshaw's time. Most people died before they reached the age of 30. And... More significantly, Haworth was a spiritual desert. Um, Only 12 people attended communion, we read. Uh, And Grimshaw later wrote that he could ride for half a day in any direction without meeting a single godly soul. Now, his first two years at Haworth brought immediate uh, change, but not as great as what was to happen later. So 120 people from the 12 who had been there when he came, who went to church, came to a saving faith. And he also divided up the congregation into a group of societies. We might call them home groups uh, today. And each consisted of six to ten families. And what he did with those groups was he catechised them. That is, he used to teach them uh, the faith. He did so from the 39 articles. That's the... Um, I guess the Church of England equivalent of the Westminster Confession. Um, So that was really great, and God blessed that time greatly. But that was actually nothing compared with what happened two years later. Now, in the meantime, um, Grimshaw had a particular spiritual experience, um, and he was very loath. Do come in, Ivan. He was very loath to describe what this was about. Um, And if we've got time, you can ask me about it later. Um, But he had a spiritual experience. And then from 1744, extraordinary things started to happen in Haworth. Um, So I've talked about the congregation of 120. Uh, We now read of congregations of over 1,000 Um, And in order to accommodate all the hearers, the church wasn't big enough, he actually built a pulpit out of one of the windows of the church. 
so he could actually preach to people in the graveyard. If you've been to Haworth, there's a large graveyard outside the church. The church, unfortunately, um, is not Grimshaw's church. It was rebuilt in the 19th century. Uh, but this is what George Whitfield, who we've talked about, said when he'd visited Grimshaw in Haworth. In September 1748, I visited Mr. Grimshaw at Haworth. In a parish church where this venerable apostle constantly laboured, I administered the Lord's Supper to upwards of a thousand communicants and preached in the churchyard. I don't know how he knew it was 6,000, to 6,000 hearers. So, extraordinary um, blessing of God in Haworth at that time. So, you might ask, what was it like to be in Grimshaw's church when he led the Sunday morning service? Somebody has actually constructed what it was like. Um, so let me read this, because I think it's quite interesting. And you can draw useful comparisons with uh, what happens here in Christchurch Central, particularly about the length of the sermon. But uh, let me read this. Grimshaw's conduct in public worship in the church at Haworth was as remarkable as his preaching. Nothing that was merely formal would he suffer for one moment. Reality was the keynote of the service. As of all that he did, there was life and fire about the man, an earnestness of spirit and reverence of manner, which could hardly fail to strike an arrest. His eye would sweep the whole congregation before the prayers began, and prompt rebuke would crush the man who was lounging forward when he ought to have been down on his knees. The prayer book came to life as his voice rose and fell, and the lectern was as stirring as the pulpit. He would read the lessons with a pause to translate all that was hard into plain, broad Yorkshire, or to open up the meaning with his homely comments. He would sometimes engage in extempore prayer after the third collect, and his soul used to be carried out with that deep fervour which told of a very close walk with God. While the congregation sang the last psalm before the time for the sermon, and this was actually must have been quite a long psalm, as you'll see, his robes were laid aside and he went out to round up the stragglers. The Black Bull, that's a local pub in Haworth, would soon be emptied and then he would return to take his place in an old-fashioned three-decker pulpit. His prayer seemed to lay siege to the very throne of glory and he would not let go until he was sure that God had heard and blessed him. One hearer observed that in prayer he excelled most men than I have ever heard. Another listener declared, his voice in prayer seemed to me as it had been the voice of an angel. It was said that he was at times like a man with his feet on earth and his soul in heaven. Then would come the sermon on such a text as he would set forth the cross of Christ and there were times when he would preach for two full hours at least. But the crowded church would listen from first to last while tears rang down many a cheek. And men, men seldom thought him too long, for they went home like those who had heard for eternity. Um, amazing. Bearing in mind that these folk in the church would be largely illiterate, I guess. Um, and it's interesting how Grimshaw was keen to, as it were, translate so that they could understand, but still stay faithful uh, to Scripture. Um, 
I mentioned that despite these large numbers, he was also very keen on pastoral care. Um, and as the church grew bigger, he had a lot of assistants who he appointed to go round uh, with these groups of, of societies who I've mentioned. Um, the other thing just to mention about Grimshaw is that he didn't stop in Haworth. Um, in those days, and indeed now in the Church of England, it is often frowned upon to go into somebody else's parish. A number of church plants in the Church of England have found this. Certainly we found that when we were in London, uh, when we were planting in another parish. It didn't go well with the vicar there. Um, but that didn't stop Grimshaw. He went all over the north of England. In the winter, he would stay close to Haworth, and he would describe that um, as his lean season. He would only preach, allegedly, 15 times a week in his lean season. In the summer, he would preach more, maybe 20 times, when he ranged further and would go as far as Chester on one side uh, to the west and Newcastle to the north. Um, there was considerable opposition um, and J.C. Ryle, who has written about a number of 18th century folk, writes about the opposition that Grimshaw faced in Colne, in Lancashire. So not too far, actually, from Haworth. Um, he was described by the vicar of Colne as Mad Grimshaw. And this guy, the vicar of Colne, the Reverend George White, um, actually got together a drunken mob when Wesley and Grimshaw went over to Cone, and they were actually probably uh, fortunate to escape with their lives. And this is what Ralph says. When Grimshaw and John Wesley went to Cone to preach on the 24th of August, 1748, they were attacked by an overwhelming mob of drunken people, armed with clubs and dragged before White, that's the vicar there, like thieves and malefactors. After a vain endeavour to extort a promise from them that they would desist from coming to preach in Cone again, they were allowed to leave the house. As soon as they got outside, the mob closed in upon them and tossed them about with great violence, throwing Grimshaw down and covering both of them with mire, there, there being no one to come to their rescue. And then it carries on like that. Um, so great persecution, also persecution of the Church of England, who didn't like the way that Grimshaw went and preached outside the parish. Uh, on one occasion, apparently, the bishop um, came to see Grimshaw, and he wanted to see whether Grimshaw was all that he was made out to be by report. So he asked him to preach, and he gave him two hours to prepare the sermon. Grimshaw being Grimshaw said, we've got people waiting in the church, why wait two hours? Let's start the service straight away. And he preached. And... The bishop allegedly said, I wish I had people in my diocese like Grimshaw with their concern uh, for the people in their care. So that just gives you a little bit of a picture of what Grimshaw did. Now, I've mentioned Wesley, I've mentioned Whitfield, um, and very interestingly, Grimshaw worked with both of them, despite the fact they disagreed, that is Whitfield and Wesley, on some fairly strong things and his view was that if at all possible um, he should combine uh, with fellow Christians for the sake of the gospel uh, and this is what he said my ardent desire is that Christians should be united 
Oh dear brethren, let me entreat you to live in love and to live in truth. You are all fellow labourers, fellow members, fellow citizens, fellow travellers, fellow sufferers, fellow servants, fellow heirs, and should you not love one another? So we'll look at the lessons we can learn from that in a second. But what happened when he did disagree with people? He disagreed with Wesley on a particular issue. Uh, Wesley believed, um, or so as it was said, that you could be perfect in this life. So in other words, perfection was possible before heaven. Uh, and it was apparently a group in Otley, uh, you all know where Otley is, who believed in this perfection, uh, a group of Wesleyans. Uh, Grimshaw was very concerned about this. So what did he do? He went openly and discussed with Wesley what was going on. I don't think they agreed, but they did talk to one another uh, in gracious terms. Um, he also, in terms of this Arminian and uh, Calvinist views of Wesley and Whitfield, used to not try to bridge it, but to make sure that that wasn't a barrier to working together. Um, but interestingly, how did Grimshaw react when people disagreed with him? Um, there was a guy called James Hartley who was converted under Grimshaw but became a Baptist and he started a Baptist church just down the road from Howarth Parish Church. Grimshaw was very gracious about this despite the fact that a number of his congregation went to the Baptist church. Um, he was gracious to Hartley. He even married him in terms of conducting the, the wedding service. And when he met him, he apparently said, God bless thee, James. God bless thy undertaking. But privately, he was distressed because people had been, as it were, stolen from his congregation. And the bit I like is apparently he said, the worst of it that so many of my chickens turn ducks. So that was his way of describing Baptists. They'd turn from chickens to ducks, and you can work out the, the relevance of that. Um, so basically, Grimshaw carried on until 1763. So basically, 20 years in Howarth with this intense workload. There was then a typhus uh, epidemic that swept uh, Howarth. There were a lot of typhus was a scourge uh, at that time. But he refused to leave the village. He carried on ministering, and then sadly, he himself uh, succumbed to typhus and died. Um, so let me read a bit of what was said at Grimshaw's funeral by again this guy Henry Venn, who was a minister in Huddersfield. Grimshaw did his utmost for God. Seldom had the sun ever run half his daily course before this minister had once or oftener declared the testimony of the Lord which enlightens the eyes of the mind and rejoices the hearts of the poor. All intent on this work, every day had its desired labours of love, morning and evening, to fill up. Labours so great that it is almost incredible to tell how many hours of the 24 were constantly employed in instructing those who dwelt in his parish or in neighbouring places. So what's clear, isn't it, is his wholeheartedness. Um, it was said apparently that 
most people would, wouldn't use their beast the way Grimshaw used his body in keeping going uh, in terms of his Christian work. Um, so what can we learn from Grimshaw? Um, three things, I think, are positive. One thing is negative, and those are, are written on the sheet. Incidentally, the headings on the sheet are taken from a biography uh, by a lady called Faith Cook. This is absolutely outstanding. If you haven't got your Christmas present sorted yet, buy this book. I'm really, really good. Thoroughly recommend it. So, what can we learn from Grimshaw? Well, the first thing I'd want to say is his whole approach towards gospel unity and collaboration. Uh, what would Grimshaw say to us about that if he was here this morning? Well, I think he'd say at least four things. Um, he would say, in his view, the most important thing is to follow Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28. Um, and in doing so, in following that great commission and working with other people, we should not be distracted by theological disagreements, as he would put it, of a secondary nature. Now, we need to be a bit careful on that, because I think the disagreements, Wesley and, and um, Whitfield, were not of a secondary nature uh, on uh, Arminianism. Uh, but Grimshaw is saying, if it's secondary, uh, make sure it is secondary. Um, he would also say we must not compromise necessarily on biblical truth. Um, and I think he would say, if he was here today, join your local gospel partnership. And I'm glad to say that we are <coughs> active members of the Yorkshire Gospel Partnership. There are these all the way around the country. So unity and working together with other Christians who agree on the basics, the foundations of the faith, he would say, really important. Second thing, which I think is a negative about Grimshaw is Grimshaw and marriage. Um, so he was married twice and apparently neither of his wives was supportive of his work, which I think is tragic. Um, his second wife was latterly, apparently, just before she died. Um, so that, I think, is, is very sad. The other thing I think we would want to say is that Grimshaw was so focused on his Christian work, I don't know how much time he would have spent with his wife um, building up their marriage so I, I think there is something there that, that Grimshaw didn't get quite right um, the third thing though is Grimshaw's personal qualities um, the first one which I really warm to um, is apparently his great humility um, and this is what somebody who knew him well said about his humility I have often heard Mr. Grimshaw with great astonishment, and I hope with profit. In prayer before his sermon, he excelled most men I have ever heard. His soul was carried out in that exercise with such earnestness, affection and fervour as indicated most intimate communion with God. His love and compassion for the souls of poor sinners and his concern for their salvation were manifested in the strongest manner in all his proceedings. Yet though his talents were great, his labours abundant and his success wonderful, he had the meanest and most degrading thoughts about himself and all he did. Humility 
was a shining feature in his character. Um, another thing I think uh, a great um, encouragement and example to all of us. Also, let me say, without sort of obviously mentioning anything in particular, I do wonder whether sometimes we look at church leadership around the country, here in the States, and I just wonder sometimes whether that great sense of humility is present as it was with William Grimshaw. Uh, And then finally, Grimshaw was wholehearted. A great example of wholeheartedness. Um, He was so busy, he didn't write much. There is a little book which we've got at home of his writings that's minuscule because he didn't have enough time to write. But this is what he did write in one of those little um, uh, writings he wrote. O Christians, give all your glory to him who gave his all for you. All you have received is from God. Let all you have be returned to God. The more God's hand is enlarged in blessing you, the more should your hearts be enlarged in blessing God. Um, So I think you can just see there that... um, Grimshaw has a lot to commend uh, himself to all of us. And certainly he would be one of my spiritual heroes. Now we've got a bit of time. Um, Do you want to throw any questions at me? Probably got five minutes. I think it's a very, very, very good question. I, I, I guess in response we've just got to be a bit careful in that in those days... Things were different. So Grimshaw might have died at the age of 30. That's when most people died. So he felt that the most important thing for him to do was to sort of be wholehearted in the Christian sense. But um, clearly that affected, I think, and there's not a lot written about this. This is more my my personal take on this. Um, So I would say um, he would have done better had he spent more time on it. I think as far as I can gather, every aspect of his life, apart from that, he got right, probably. But that bit he didn't. Uh, Sorry, that doesn't really answer your question, but I I guess the thing I have to bear in mind is that Grimshaw might well have died at 25 or 30 through typhus, and he felt he had a job to do. So that's the other side of that. Uh, um, The other thing is I've just been reading a book by uh, Christopher Ashe on zeal and burnout, and Grimshaw would be a really bad example in that book in terms of his focus, single-handed focus, because people normally couldn't do what he did. So I haven't said that's a disadvantage, but I think that's a disadvantage to us. Um, No sane person could do what Grimshaw did in terms of his focus. So uh, zeal, yes, um, he didn't burn out, most people would, and I think marriage-wise, he would have done best to pull back and spend some good time with his wife. Does, does that give you a, a little bit of an answer? Any, 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 anything else? George? I don't think there's a lot of detail. Um, you're going to laugh when I say this. I can tell you where he was worse received, which was Lancashire. Uh, but it does seem that over that way, um, 
particularly in Cone, um, there were more high church people. So, so there was a, it is true that a lot of more high church Anglo-Catholics, that's a sort of modern phrase, but towards... So I would say best recede, probably West Riding, uh, Bradford, Leeds area, um, and further afield. So there is evidence Newcastle well received, as far as Chester as well even. Uh, sorry, does that, does that answer give you an experience? Yeah, yeah. They would have definitely preached Yeah, but one needs to bear in mind that Leeds was not a big place then. No, Bradford was much bigger. Um, I, 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 I have to say, I've not read the uh, Faith Cook book for a number of years. Uh, so, but I'm pretty sure my memory serves me correctly, he would have preached in Leeds, yes. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, do, I don't know. Uh, these people preached for a long, long time. All these guys who you saw, they all preached for huge lengths of time. A different mentality then. People would be happy to listen. You know, they, they, they didn't go home to all their... Uh, thing. Sorry. Right, I think we're almost time expired now. Let me pray, um, and then we'll, we'll clear things for the service. Heavenly Father, thank you very much for the life of William Grimshaw. Thank you for the great things he did in your strength for the sake of the gospel. We pray that you'd help us learn from his example. Help us to be wholehearted. Help us to be humble. Uh, help us to work with other Christians, we pray. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.